today on Let the Bible Speak. Tough times not only try our patience, but they also test our faith. Next on Let the Bible Speak, we begin a brand new series on the beloved book of Ruth. And welcome to the program today. It's always good to be with you to talk about the Word of God, and I'm thankful you've chosen to spend this half hour studying the Bible with me. A new start is a wonderful thing, especially when what you're leaving behind is a trail of failure, tears, and heartache. Today we begin a new series of lessons about a family who experienced all of those things. It is not only one of the most beloved stories in the Bible, but also one of the most wonderful pieces of literature of all time, the book of Ruth. It's only four chapters long and is tucked away in the books of the history of Israel, but the things that take place in this story are central to the theme and the unfolding of God's story of salvation. Some think of the book of Ruth as a love story or a story of family devotion and loyalty. It certainly contains those themes, but that's not really the overall purpose of the book of Ruth. It serves an important theological purpose and there are many necessary lessons we need to learn from it if we wish to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for the next five weeks or so, I want us to learn the lessons of the book of Ruth. And to lay the foundation, to set the stage, I want to read together from Ruth chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The record says, Now it came to pass when the judge, in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread." Our series will be called Bread in Bethlehem. And today we want to talk about the times that try us. Stay with me for our study from this wonderful story. But first, a song from the congregation. If I could climb to the top of every Jesus means to be, to be. 
some tender and touching scenes in the book of Ruth, and that's what we generally remember when we think about the story of this wonderful woman. We think of the redemptive romance between this young maid from Moab and this wealthy bachelor from Bethlehem. Or perhaps we think of the endearing scene of Ruth and Naomi on the side of a dusty road as Ruth pledges her heart and her loyalty to her mother-in-law and to the God of Israel. But there's nothing sweet nor tender about the opening scenes of the book of Ruth. It begins in dark and difficult times for not only a family, but for an entire city and for a people. It takes place in the little village of Bethlehem in Judah, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem, between the years of 1100 and 1200 B.C. Now, we perhaps have a romanticized picture of the town of Bethlehem, a sleepy little village where people patiently and piously and quietly awaited the coming of their Savior, centuries later, but it's true Bethlehem is where our Savior was born nearly 1,200 years after this story takes place, but Bethlehem had a notorious history. Uh, this was in the days of the judges before Israel had a human monarchy, and those were troubled times for the nation spiritually and physically. You read through the book of Judges, and the story of Ruth takes place during the period of the Judges. Read the book of Judges and you'll, you'll see a snapshot of what was going on in that time and it wasn't good. The religious life of Israel was in a state of confusion and anarchy and the people were caught up in all kinds of idolatry and immorality. I suppose the keynote of the book of Ruth is the phrase that recurs, in those days there was no king in Israel but every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. Now we of course know the story of Samson and how sin and his love of strange women got him into such trouble. Uh, we also read a rather bizarre story in Judges 17 and 18 about a Jewish family with all kinds of sin taking place within it. You had a young man named Micah who stole money from his own mother and when she found out she pronounced a curse upon the thief while he brought the money back to her and she turned right around and used it to have an idol made to give to her thief of a son. And if that wasn't strange enough, a young priest from Bethlehem, the hometown of Elimelech and Naomi, he just sold out to Micah, gave up whatever convictions he had, if he had any to begin with, and agreed to hire on and to serve as a priest over Micah's new idolatrous and false 
religion. It's not only a story of stealing, treachery, deceit, and idolatry. But if you read on, it involved an entire tribe of God's people who went in and plundered a city that wasn't supposed to be theirs. And it became a hotbed of idolatry and wickedness. And then you merely turn the page to chapter 19 and you have one of the most awful stories in all of the Word of God. It's about a woman from Bethlehem who's married to a Levite, but she leaves her husband, she commits adultery, and after some time he later goes to her and he woos her into going back home with him. And They got as far as the town of Gibeah, and absolute horror ensues as the whole thing turns into another Sodom and Gomorrah situation. You can read that story in Judges 19 of how the wicked men in that city tried to sexually abuse him, and instead he throws his wife out into the mob where they assaulted her through the night and left her dead. He carried her home, he cut up her remains, and had them sent all over the land to show what had happened to her. Now, friend, that all was going on in the days of the judges, and much of it comes right out of the city of Bethlehem. And this is not about pagan Gentile people who knew nothing about God, these things were taking place among the people of God. What I'm saying is it was not an easy environment for a godly person to live in and raise a family in. There was much wickedness and corruption in that time, despite the fact that it was the promised land and supposedly the people of God living there. But it was not only a bad time in Bethlehem spiritually, but physically. To make matters worse, a terrible famine had settled over the land, and in particular, the town of Bethlehem. It's quite possible that this famine was an act of God's judgment upon them for how they were living. At least we know that God sometimes did punish His people with such famines, and such famines were severe and they were deadly. Now, today we have a hard time imagining that perhaps most of us get our food from the grocery store, and most of that comes from some other part of the country or even around the world. And so in our first world culture, famines and droughts, well, they don't affect us as directly. Uh, but it was different in Bible days. This was an agrarian society and they raised their food. A crop failure could mean starvation. In fact, we read in Bible times of famines or when people in a city were cut off from the fields and from their food supply and starvation set in and even caused women to resorting to killing and eating their own children. So what I'm saying is, it was not easy living in Bethlehem, especially if you were raising a family and trying to do what is right. It wasn't easy spiritually speaking. It wasn't easy physically. In this day, however, God was particular about where His people lived. The nation was divided into tribes and when they took the land of Canaan, their inheritance was divided up and apportioned to the tribes and to the families within those tribes. And that's not even to mention that they were dwelling in the land that God had long before promised and now given them to conquer and to settle. So Jews belonged in Canaan because it was the land God had given them. And Limelech and his wife Naomi belonged with their people in Bethlehem, Judah. This was their home. It was, it was their home by God's design and God's will. It was where the religious and political economy of God's people was set up. And so this is where they belonged. Well, that may sound good, except that it wasn't easy to live in Bethlehem, Judah at that time. Ironically, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And the name Judah means praise. 
But there wasn't much bread to be found at that time in Bethlehem. And I don't imagine the people of Judah felt much like offering up praise while they were suffering and wondering where their next meal would come from. But friend, those are the very times that test our faith and reveal our true character. It's not the good times. It's the hard times. It's the tempting times. Elimelech and Naomi were probably good, well-meaning people who found themselves in a dark and difficult and trying time in their life, and it put their faith to the test. Now, what they should have done was trust God. We can look back and say that. They should have put their faith in God to preserve them. Now, I'm not suggesting that trusting God means that we just sit on our hands and do nothing and wait for God to miraculously provide. But I am saying that when God has commanded something, or when God has revealed His will for us through His Word in some manner of our life. Faith means that we believe God, and we do what He says to do, even when the circumstances, maybe human wisdom, our logic, tells us we should do something else. It's when we get in those tight places in serving the Lord that our faith is shown for what it is or what it isn't. Now, Elimelech didn't put his faith in God. Instead, the book of Ruth opens by telling us in chapter 1 and verse 1 that there was a famine in the land and that Elimelech went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, as hard as times may have been, of all places for Elimelech to decide to go, I can't think of a worse one than Moab. That was about as faithless and terrible of a decision as he could have made. Now, we'll get into this more in our lesson next week, Lord willing, but let it just suffice to say for now that Moab was a spiritually dark and desolate place where a family from Bethlehem had no business living. There may have been bread in Moab, but there was no spiritual sustenance in that wicked place, let me assure you. Uh, and Elimelech and Naomi paid a terrible price, as we shall see, for moving their family there. They failed the test of faith. And instead of trying times, driving them to their knees... Those times drove them to compromise and to go to a wicked place that all but destroyed their family and caused them to lose everything. And it would be years later that Naomi would return to Bethlehem without her husbands or her sons, a bitter and penniless woman. I don't know how they reasoned or what they thought, maybe as Elimelech and Naomi discussed it and deliberated as to what to do. Maybe they thought, well, it's not the best place to go and it's not the best choice or it's not, the, uh, it's not what we really would like. But, you know, you, desperate times call for desperate measures and we're not going to go there for long. Surely the famine won't last long. We'll just go to escape the worst of it and then we can come back home and all will be well. Perhaps that's what they thought. But if it was, how wrong they were. Because it led to ten long years away from home in that godless place. And Naomi came back a different woman than she left. Now friend, when you live your life on the basis of any determination besides the will of God, you're inviting trouble. You call yourself a Christian, but you don't allow the Word of God to make your decisions in life, the principles of the Word of God to guide you in making those decisions, the commands of God to restrain you in making those decisions. If you don't do that, you'll pay for that. It will cost you spiritually much more than you ever imagined. 
sin cost Naomi more than she ever intended to pay. It left her longer than she intended to stay. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and let everything else then fall into its place. You see, it takes faith to do that. It takes a resolve and a determination. Sometimes it takes great sacrifice to be faithful to the word of God and to be able to seek God's kingdom above everything else. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they will put you in all kinds of positions that will try your faith and test your ability to remain true to God's word Himself. Sometimes God Himself will put you in such a position to test whether your faith is what you think it is. I do want you to know today that being true and faithful to God is not easy. It has never been easy. It will never be easy. It is never convenient to be a Christian and to do the will of God and remain true to His Word. In fact, the course of least resistance will always carry you away from God, not toward Him. Christians are often put in places and circumstances in life where we are called upon to make some very difficult decisions. And most often the right decision is not the decision the people of the world tell us we should make. It defies their wisdom. It defies their logic. For example, the world will say that we're foolish if we turn down a job offering good money and the prospect of promotion because perhaps such a job would interfere with our church life, or such a job would demand that we make some compromises in our morals or our beliefs. I have time and again seen fathers and mothers who follow a job or a career path to some distant city or some environment that ended up being detrimental to their spiritual lives and, more, and further to the spiritual well-being of their children. And what it boils down to is they put money, advancement, opportunity before the spiritual welfare of their family, and they ended up paying a terrible price. Just what kind of price tag do you put on the souls of your children? How large of a salary are you willing to sell them to the devil for? Do you think about those things when you make decisions for you and your family? When you decide to take or turn down a job, do you think what this, will, what this move or this lifestyle will do to them spiritually? Or what will it do to the local church that I'm already a member of and that depends upon me? Does that cross your mind? Now someone will say, but you see desperate times call for desperate measures. Or a man has to feed his family, you know. Or someone will say, a man has to live. But that's not true. You don't have to live. I don't have to live. But we do have to die and face God in judgment, and so will your family. And how will the decisions that you are making impact where you and they stand in the day of judgment? That's the question that ought to come first, you see. As I cited a moment ago, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not to be like the Gentiles who fret and worry over material things, but rather, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of those other things will be added unto you, Matthew 6 and verse 33. He wasn't saying that we are not to uh, be concerned about making a uh, having a job and feeding our family, but we seek God's kingdom. We seek the reign of Jesus. We seek the righteousness of Christ before those things, and we let those things fall in their rightful place. Sometimes we're confronted by plagues and famines, so to speak, because plagues and famines just happen. We live in a fallen and corrupted world because of sin, and as a result, the world is filled with difficulty and obstacles to happiness and success. And We have to factor that in when we make our decisions in life and consider the spiritual verities of life. Sometimes 
Uh, the famines come as a consequence of our own personal sin. That is, we make foolish decisions and we live in such a way that we make life harder than it has to be. And then sometimes someone else's sin puts us or our family in a hard place. The alcoholism of a father or the drug addiction of a mother or one of the children in the family makes it much harder for the family to get by and to hold together and to survive. And then sometimes God sends the famine to discipline and chasten us. He allows the times of famine to test us and to mold us and to correct us. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 that God chastens those whom He loves and that He allows suffering and difficulty to provide discipline in our lives. And consequently, He warned them not to allow a root of bitterness to be planted as a reaction to the Lord's chastening. In other words, don't let suffering and persecution drive you away from the Lord. You see, when those times come, they put our faith to the test. They challenge us as to whether we'll be true to God or not. They force us to make decisions that reveal whether we're really as dedicated to God as we think we are or claim to be. And Elimelech failed that test. He made a foolish and tragic decision based upon nothing more than feeding his family and doing what he thought he had to do to physically survive. But instead of surviving, he lost everything. Whatever faith he may have had, it faltered when it came to being hard to live a godly life and to do the will of God. Now, Limelech's faithlessness caused him to make a detrimental choice. And Lord willing, that's going to be the subject of our study next week. As we continue our series in the book of Ruth, Bread in Bethlehem, we have not only looked at the times that try us, we'll learn about the choices that condemn us. And then I want you to see that there are decisions that can destine us. And then there is the love that lifts us and providence that provides for us. All of these important and relevant themes are woven throughout this wonderful story that is the book of Ruth. And I hope you'll join me each and every Sunday for those studies. And you'll be challenged not only to make the right decisions in your life, but that you in the process will see the prophetic portrait of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in the pages of this famous story.
Despite its disappointing and tragic beginnings, the story of Ruth is truly a beautiful story. It ends in a beautiful way. And as we will learn, it is a prophetic picture of the greatest story ever told. And we'll learn some critical lessons, not only about God's scheme of redemption, but about the importance of the decisions that we make in life. And so I hope that you'll join me for the remainder of our study. And next week, the Lord willing, we'll talk about the choices that sometimes condemn us. And so be sure to join us for that. If you'd like a free printed copy of today's lesson, the beginning of our series, uh, is yours for the asking. When you, contact, uh, when you contact us, ask for the lesson, The Times That Try Us. The Times That Try Us. And we'll get that to you as quickly as we can. You can also find us online, ltbstv.org, and we're on social media. So if you haven't, be sure to like our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel and share those platforms with your friends and neighbors and encourage them to become viewers of Let the Bible Speak. I'm so glad you're here from week to week. If this is your first time watching the program, I hope it won't be the last, but that you'll make an appointment to join me back here next time for our next Bible study. We invite you to come worship with us anytime in a Church of Christ. Anytime you have that opportunity, we would love to meet you and have you to be with us in our assembly. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you have a great week ahead. Make your plans to join me next time if the Lord wills. Until then, may God richly bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.